I prepared a little something before we got into these, just in case. I didn't like where you were taking us. I at least had something. Uh, I'm going to read you a verse. This is Proverbs 29:18, and it says this. And this is in the King James Version. And I'm reading this because um, I actually think it's an interesting way of interpreting this verse. And, I, and I'm going to read it in two different versions, but I want us to hear it first in the King James Version. Proverbs 29:18 says this: Where there is no vision, where there is no vision, the people perish. The people perish. Um, I'm going to read it to you in Mike Quinn's favorite version called The Voice. And it says this, where there is no vision from God, the people run wild. The people run wild. Uh, this word vision that's being used in here is actually uh, the Hebrew word Hassan, Hassan. And, it, and it's where we get uh, Hazah. You know, for Hazah, it's where we get that. It's this realization. The actual word is revelation. So vision being used in this, actually this word of revelation. And we're going to see uh, from about now until the end of the Gospel of Luke, we're, we're only about halfway through it as far as chapters are concerned, but we're going to see now, uh, from now until about the end, your Bible, if you have one of those red letter Bibles, all the words are going to start turning red. And these are all going to be the parables of Jesus. So we're going to get a lot of Jesus talking and he's going to talk about this new kingdom. You hear him talking about the kingdom of God. You hear him talking about this word called kingdom. You hear him talking about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he's going to be talking about um, this new kingdom, this new revelation, this new vision that is now, uh, he'll sometimes say, is near, is amongst us, is here, has come, has arrived. There is this new wave that is coming in, and he's going to start teaching. And so we, we're moving away from what would have been what we would have called like the works of Jesus. So we saw him doing a lot of miracles. We saw him doing a lot of things. And we're now moving into what we'd call more like the words of Jesus. Does that make sense? Kind of where we're heading. And you'll still get him doing some miracles. And he did teach some things early on. But in Luke, at least, we see kind of right about now this transition line. And so that's where we're heading. Uh, parables, uh, that at least with what Jesus used, oftentimes can be uh, a bit confusing. When you read them, it's like, what, what is he saying there? And so we have to be really careful with parables because oftentimes uh, context is key, as we know. And so what we're doing today is actually goes against the proper way of doing it, just picking random parables out of context and teaching to them. So we're doing, we're doing a bad thing today. Forgive us. Um, but we also have to understand these parables are pre-cross resurrection and Holy Spirit. Things changed when that happened. Um, we also have to understand the audience in which he's speaking to. Sometimes he's not speaking to you as much as he's speaking to a certain group of people uh, that need to be convicted or convinced or uh, need to repent and turn. Uh, sometimes it's not so much about you as the new believer as it is about a people group who had yet believed. So we have to be very careful to not just take these and go often and always try to live them verbatimly because that's not always what their intention was. And many will try to teach you that that is what their intention was. So we have to be careful. I want to read you 
what Jesus says the purpose of parables are for. This is in Matthew 13, 10 through 17. The disciples came up and asked, uh, why do you tell stories? Why do you tell parables? And he replied, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everyone has this gift, this insight. It's been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and the understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptive soon disappears. That's why I tell stories, to create a readiness, to nudge the people towards receptive insight in their present state. They can stare till doomsday and not see it. Listen till they are blue in the face and not get it. I don't want Isaiah's forecast to repeat itself over again. And he, he, he quotes Isaiah, and I'm not going to quote it for us. And then he keeps going. He says, but you have God's blessed eyes, eyes that see, and God's blessed ears, ears that hear. A lot of people, prophets and humble believers among them, would have given anything to see what you've seen, to hear what you are hearing, but they never had a chance. Those are Jesus' words. When we talk about a kingdom... We, we talk about a place, we talk about a king, and we talk about people. Jesus talks of all three. He talks about this kingdom, that it's going to be a physical place. He talks about this kingdom in that the fact that it's going to have a ruler and a king. And he talks about this kingdom and how it's going to have some people in it that are a part of the kingdom. So you'll hear him use these phrases often. We've titled this sermon today, uh, Something Greater is Here. Something greater is here. Uh, what we're going to see in almost every single one of these parables, with maybe a couple exceptions, is that what Jesus is teaching is that something greater has shown up. There has been a shift. Something is changing. Something is coming. Something is now here that is different than the way you once thought. You with me? Okay. Which one did we start with? Number two, okay, this is going to be wild, okay, the Lord's Prayer. So I have someone, I have Noel Green, who's going to actually uh, read each one of our passages for us, and then I'll, I'll give us some thoughts. Noel, go ahead. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say... Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and give us our sins. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What, a, what father among you, if his sons ask for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? 
or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much, wo- how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Thanks, Noel. So much better to not have to hear me read. Isn't that better? That's so much better. There's a, something greater is here than me reading, and that is Noel. Um, hey, there's a lot in here. And uh, Luke's gospel is the only one that records the second portion, that kind of that parable that he tells about, hey, if, some, if a neighbor comes and does this, and then you give him a scorpion and whatever, like all that part of it, Luke's really the only one that records this portion. Uh, and it's, it's an interesting piece. Uh, there's a lot, a lot, a lot in there. Uh, I, I will tell you this. Luke records uh, less than, than others, but he records five times in his gospel uh, Jesus praying. And, and the thought of Jesus praying is kind of an interesting one because we believe he's God, right? So it's like God praying to God. I, I don't know how it all works, but what we do know is that Jesus um, sought a really good thing to step away from the chaos of what was going on to be with his father and to talk to him. Um, The request that these disciples ask him, so these are the 12 disciples right now. He had many other disciples, but this is the 12. Uh, This is actually the only request recorded in the Gospel of Luke that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them. Isn't that interesting? This is the only thing that they said, hey, teach us how to do this differently. Or better. This is the only request, and it was built around prayer. And if you look at the wording, will you guys go back to the the start of it? Now, when Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, "Look at these. Look at the words here. Lord, teach us to pray." They're not asking so much as to teach us how to pray. The wording is, and literally, the wording is, "Teach us to actually pray." Something greater had shown up. They, they obviously knew how to pray. Uh, the Hebrew Jewish culture uh, was all about prayer. They had, they had different prayers for different times of the day, for different meals, for different ceremonies. They had recited prayers. Um, but they were watching Jesus do something they had never seen. They were watching him interact with God in a way they had not experienced. And so they said these words, teach us to do that. Teach us whatever that is that we see you doing, that seems far greater, far more fulfilling, far more life-giving than the way we've been doing it. Isn't that interesting? How does he start it? And I love this. He says, okay, when when you're going to do it, Start off by using these words, Father, Father. Um, Fifteen times in the whole Old Testament, this word Father is used in relationship to God, um, but never in a relationship of, of this kind of tender coming before type of wording. And Jesus introduces it right here. He says, look, when you're going to go talk to God, see him as father. That is like a profound, crazy concept. If if you were to look at most religions of the world and how they view deity and how they view God, they certainly do not view him in this tender approach of father. 
And Jesus says, let's just start right there. I love, love, love that. Some will say uh, about this Lord's Prayer, you've heard this Lord's Prayer, we've even probably done it together. Some will say Christians uh, don't need to, to recite the Lord's Prayer and, and, and pray this way anymore. And, and in, in fact, um, I'm probably one who would agree in some ways. Some of the things that Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray for are things that um, have actually already happened. Like, forgive us of our sins. Well, well that like happened. And so in, in asking God to forgive us of our sins again, it's almost as though we are claiming, uh, did that really work? Did that really stick? Lord, I need you to forgive me of my sins again. And, and so I, I hear that and I can understand that, but I think that wasn't even Jesus's intention with this. I think what he was teaching us is he was teaching us a blueprint, a design, a formula, a template of what prayer might look like. So I would say, don't get so much hung up on should Christians uh, that are on this side of the cross still pray this prayer or not. I would say, look at what he is teaching us to do. He's teaching us first to come to him and say, praise your name. Your name is holy and amazing and unbelievable. And you are in heaven and your vantage point is different than mine. And so I am coming to you in this adoration of how amazing and wonderful you are. Let's just start there is what he says. And then he goes, and once, once you've gotten to that place, now, now let's, let's start having a conversation. And then he leads us into what it might look like. Does that make sense? So use it much more as a template and, and less of a, hey, I gotta pray word by word what it's saying in here. You tracking with me? Wouldn't be a bad thing to read it word by word. It's not gonna hurt you. Um, but I think it was more a design of a template. Maybe my favorite thing about this prayer is the tense in which it is written. He uses phrasing like um, our Father, our daily bread, give us, deliver us. Um, There's something really profound in this concept is that our lives um, are meant to not be uh, so self-centered. That we are meant to be outward, that we are meant to be lovers, that we are meant to be those involved in community together. And even in how Jesus teaches us to pray, it is in this community outward sense. Not this, give me, I need, deliver me, do this for me, God. It's this us, our thing. I think that's really profound. I'm not going to go much further on that. We could do a whole sermon on that. But I want you to think about that. Even in how Jesus is teaching us to pray, he's giving us such a gift of us not being so self-consumed. Second part of it, he's just he starts to tell a parable. And to keep it really simple, he's trying to show contrast between a grumpy neighbor neighbor and a gracious God. He's trying to say, look, if you were to go to your neighbor and do it this way, here's what might happen. And look, this guy, he's still going to give you what you want. And he's a grumpy neighbor. Imagine what a gracious, loving father God 
how he would respond to you. Imagine the difference. You're, you're going to get what you want here with this guy. Imagine the difference when you come before the king, the one who loves you, the one who cares for you. In it, he, he gives this, uh, Jesus gives this really interesting statement about continuing to knock. And, and what he's doing there is using this, um, this gram, uh, he's using this thing, it's called a present active imperative. Don't ask me what it means. It means that. It's a present active imperative. And so here's, here's, what it, here's what he's saying. So I'm telling you this as a commandment of mine to you. Keep on and never stop asking or seeking. That's what that phrase, as he says it, that's how it comes across. And so this is really interesting. Um, he's not saying keep banging and banging and banging and knocking and knocking and knocking until you get what you want. It's not what he's talking about. Many will teach that about prayer. You just have to keep banging on the door until you get what you want. Because he won't hear you the first time, but I swear if you keep banging, it'll wake him up in the middle of the night and finally he'll get sick of it and he'll reply. That's not what he's teaching. He's saying there's a promise tied to a command here. Don't give up. Keep talking to me. Keep staying in conversation with me. I'm with you. I love you. I care for you. Don't stop the conversation. We're in this together. I hope you know that I'm crazy about you. Don't stop talking. He says, I will lead you. I will provide for you. I'm going to be with you. Stay in the conversation. I do this with my kids all the time. I'm like, look, stay in the conversation with me. I know my first response of saying no to that ticked you off because you wanted to go do that. Stay in the conversation. I want to explain to you what's going on here. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, the blessing comes with staying in the conversation. The blessing comes when you keep knocking because you're keeping inviting us to be together in a conversation. Does that make sense? The difference there? All right. Well, that, was, that was it. That's all you get out of that one. Okay. Come on. Ooh, we got a lot to cover. All right. Number five. Some are shorter. Some are shorter. We'll be all right. Number five. Noelle, you ready? As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You picked it. I mean, I didn't pick it. You picked that one. Um, really just a, a, a interesting thing here. Um, he's talking to a huge crowd of people. This crowd, uh, we, we might not get to some that talk about it, but this crowd is getting into the thousands. There's a, there's a word that they use to talk about this crowd, and the word is actually the word for 10,000. We don't think it was 10,000 people that were following him at this time, but we know the multitude had gotten massive. And, and from the crowd, this lady yells these words out. So this, just imagine like a bigger crowd than you can imagine, and right in the middle of it, this lady says, Blessed is the one who gave birth to you, and blessed is her breast who nursed you. All right. Yeah. Amen. She is a great one. That Mary. No, but this is interesting. This is actually the first time we see uh, the Virgin Mary being worshipped, being praised. Right. Religions have been built around this lady getting a ton of play, a ton of praise. Right. And this is the first time we see it in, in all of all of uh, the recorded account of the life of Jesus and the time of Jesus this is the first time we see it. And by golly, she is 
deserving of it. She had birth to the Savior of the world. And that's a big deal. She was chosen for that. Blessed is this woman. But the interesting thing that Jesus says, listen to this. He said, um, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the words of God and keep it. Maybe could have said it this way. Mary is more blessed in believing in the name of Jesus than birthing the name of Jesus. Isn't that crazy? This is the uh, the something greater is here moment. There is an upside down kingdom that is coming that he's talking about. He's he's in, in this moment. He's giving them a picture to say, hey, something's going to be a little different. And let me explain it to you. And here's what he's saying. We'll just put it in just kind of normal um, terms. Your identity is not going to be defined by what you can do, but instead who you put your trust in. That's what's shifting. There's something coming right now. Let me tell you, there's something coming that is going to be uh, really impactful, and it's this. It's more important who you put your trust in than what you're able to do. And, and he uses this moment where this lady yells out some random thing to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to shift it up a little bit. Something greater is here. Uh, it's interesting uh, that the um, Generation Z, so this is 7-year-olds to 22-year-olds, uh, when, they, when they've been uh, asked this question, two-thirds of them, so over 60% of them, believe by the time that they are 18 to 25 years old that they will be famous. Isn't that crazy? This generation that's coming up behind me, over 60% of them believe they will be famous. And with YouTube and things like that, they might very well be famous. But there is within us this longing to be known by what we're able to do. And Jesus is saying, I'm just, I want you to know there's something greater. And it's being known in who you belong to, not what you're able to do. That is a message that might actually really help this next generation, it sounds like. I'm I'm saying that to parents that have kids in that age group. Go talk to them. That would be a huge concept for them to learn, is that what is valuable in you is not as much what you can do, but who you belong to. Grandparents, you, you could do that as well. All right, let's keep going. Number six. Noel, you ready? When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up to the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and, and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. I might have stole the something greater is here part for, from something somewhere else. Um, really, really simple concept. Interesting wording, interesting story. What, what is he doing here? Uh, It is pretty black and white, and so I'm going to keep it pretty black and white. 
Um, but before we get there, it's so funny. It's that he says, you're asking for a sign. Isn't this crazy? He's saying, well, you guys are like an evil generation. You're like a broken people. You're asking for a sign. Think about what he's already done. Think about what he's already done. He has healed people of like big time issues, like couldn't see, now they can see. Couldn't walk, now they can walk. He's cast out demons. He had these couple pieces of fish and couple pieces of bread, and he fed 5,000 people with it. At one point, he's in a river with a crazy man that everyone was there to watch, and the clouds opened up, and God's voice said, this is my son. He goes, you guys are crazy. You're asking for a sign. I'm not going to give you another sign other than I want to tell you about this guy Jonah, and I want to tell you about the queen of the, what is it, the queen of the south? The queen of the south. What's he saying? This is the queen of Sheba. And um, he's telling a story about the queen of Sheba traveling 1,400 miles is how far she went. 1,400 miles. Think about that for a second. She doesn't have cars. There's like no cars. 1,400 miles. She travels because she is enamored by this guy named Solomon. She's heard about him. Rumors have been spread about this guy named Solomon. And she's like, I got nothing to do. I'd love to go meet him. She travels 1,400 miles. And it says when she saw him and heard him talk and learned about him, this is in 1 Kings, she marveled and was undone, especially about the God he talked about. 1,400 miles she went. Jonah traveled 560 miles to this place of Nineveh, and they heard him say a couple of words, like one sentence. Jonah gets into the middle of town, and he's like, hey, if you don't repent, you're all going to burn to the ground. And they're like, let's do it. Let's repent. And they all repent. It says even the cows repented. Like, I don't even know what that means. But they all repented. And he's saying, look, I came all the way from heaven and you didn't receive me. You're not receiving me. That's all he's saying there. He's saying, like, you guys are nuts. You're crazy people. So what's going on there? Cool? You picked it. You picked it. Okay. Number nine. Number nine. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. We see this word leaven. It's just yeast. You guys know that? Leaven is the word for yeast. Um, Yeast is what you use to put into bread to make it rise. And... um, it gets used all the time through Scripture. Probably 95% of the time, it's, it's a bad thing. When you, when you see the word leaven, it's a bad thing. There's like one or two times in Matthew where Jesus talks about leaven being a good thing and how just a little bit of the truth of the good news spreads like wildfire. And, but for most of the times when you see leaven, it's, it's a bad thing. He's talking about something corrupt, and it started small, and it, and it destroyed the whole batch, right? So does that make sense what he's saying? And so like even, even when they would, uh, at Passover, you had to clear your house of leaven. 
uh, in the tabernacle, they, before they did any of their rituals, they cleared the tabernacle of yeast. Uh, is this symbolic way of saying, look, just a little bit of it can run wild. Okay? And so what he's, what he, he's just gotten done, this is one of those, one of those areas where it, it kind of hurts us to not have context because this one, there's just not a ton of meat to it. But really the big one was the one before it. And so he's just gotten done talking to the Pharisees and the lawyers and he's saying, hey, you, you're really hurting people. Like the way you live, you look really good on the outside, but your hearts are corrupt. And the one who, who, who can make you clean on the outside is also the one who can make you clean on the inside. Let's get you cleaned up on the inside. So he's talking about this greater way that's coming. And he, so he just gives a warning to those that are listening, his disciples. He says, listen, the way these hypocrites, the way these Pharisees are living, if you're not careful, you will, it'll, it'll rub off on you. Just a little bit of it, you'll start seeing them in this self-righteous attitude. They get to sit in the front seat in the ceremonies. They get to go through town and people wave at them and say their name, Rabbi so-and-so, hey, how are you doing? And, and if, you, if you're not careful, this hypocrisy will invade your heart. But I want to tell you, something greater is coming where all will be exposed. Everything will be exposed. Keen, Noel, I need you to read number 14, which is you must be ready. You must be ready. Will you do that one? Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Thanks, Noel. That was a lot of work. (laughs) Thanks. Not a ton of sermons taught on this. Just not a bunch. Like we don't we don't really like turn to this one a ton. The cutting in half part is interesting. Um. What do, you, what do you do with something like this? You come across it in God's word and you're like, what in the world is happening here? You guys played all week. I was trying to figure out what the heck this one said. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting. You'll hear some some scholars will say he's talking about the people of Israel. Some will tell you that the first watch, the second watch, the third watch, 
is about seasons of life that they were in the first watch. We're now in the third watch. So Jesus is coming back soon. Others will tell you different things. Um, I, I believe he's telling a story about two servants. Uh, I believe he's telling a story about a servant who believes in the second coming of Jesus Christ, that he will return um, and has put his trust in him. And I believe he's talking about another servant who has not yet put his trust in Jesus Christ. And on that return, there will be, there will be a judgment day. There will be destruction. There will be, um, we use the word hell. And I believe that's what's being talked about here. And I believe it's, it's kind of that simple um, to the degree in which it's, it's being written. Um, but my favorite part is in the first couple of sentences. And it talks about the day in which the king or the master will come back to the house. And I love what he says. He says, when the master comes, he will trade roles and he will become the servant and he will serve. And I hope you know this, that there will be a feast. There will be what's called the wedding feast of the lamb. And I believe that when we are there, this is in heaven. This is when we get there, that the king will, this is crazy. The king of the world will serve us. And he, I I don't know what to say, but I know that this day is coming. And I believe it to be true that he will return and that it'll be on a white horse and there'll be some trumpets and there'll be some years of war and there'll be some years of rain. And I don't know if there's, if it's, the thousand years here, the thousand years there, or the thousand years over there, or if we're in the thousand years, I have no idea, but I know that there will be a dinner where I get to look into the Savior of the world's face, and he'll be washing my feet, and I don't understand what that'll be like or why he would do it, but I think he is talking about something greater that is coming, and that there's a king out there that actually loves in that kind of way. I believe that's what he's talking about. There you go. You picked it. All right, we got like two more, and these are quick ones. And we are running out of time. Number 15, peace but division. I came to cast fire on the earth, and without it, we're already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, Three against two and two against three. They'll be di- they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? Yes, I thought that's what the Bible said. No, I tell you, but rather division. Jesus, you all right, buddy? We, what's going on here? He has come to bring peace to any of you that declare his name to be king, to be sovereign Lord. Yeah, so much peace. But I will tell you this. You bring the name of Jesus anywhere. I don't care where you go. If you bring the name of Jesus, you will see division. You will see people saying you shut your mouth when you talk about that guy. And you will see people go, no, I'm all in. Some of you have experienced that in your own families. Much division. And that's, that's all he's saying there is, I hate to be the one that brings the bad news, but just in me showing up and declaring that I am God, 
there's going to be some division. Does that make sense? Unfortunate, but truth. All right, last one, number 16. He also said to the crowds, when, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? That was the last one. Can we give Noel a little round of applause? Thank you. Um, he said it like six other ways, different ways throughout this. He's just saying, look, um, you can, you can predict when the weather's going to change. You see that wind that comes out of the east. You see this, you see that. And you know, you're like, hey, it's going to be a windy day. We might get some rain today. But all things have been pointing to me coming and you can't see it. That's all he's saying. He's just saying, how, how can you not see? <laughs> like, there was this star. These wise men saw it. And they all came and they gave me some gifts and it was awesome. You, how can you not see it? Everything has been pointing to this. The prophets said this would come. In fact, they said it would come this way and this would happen and then this would happen. And it's all happening. You can predict it all and yet you can't see the very moment that we are in. He's saying you're blind to it. That's all he's saying. And I I started with this idea of where there is no revelation, the people run wild. And I believe that Jesus came to open up eyes, to give sight so that people may see the truth. I, I believe this with everything in me. And I believe he is still doing it. And I believe there are even people in this room that just by declaring the gospel, by us opening it up and reading it, their eyes have been opened today to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. He is still at work in opening eyes to the blind. And I believe that is what this kingdom come is. It's this declaration of the king is here, he is moving, and he is changing lives. And may that be declared from now until the time of his return. Will you pray with me? Jesus, your words are confusing at times. They frighten us at times. But we know this to be true, that you came and you took on all the weight of our evilness, all the weight of our wickedness, and you bore it on a cross because you loved us. And one day we will get to eat with you and we will get to feast with you. And there will be no more confusion. There will be no more wondering. Every knee will be bowed. And we believe that and we declare that. You are Lord. And we love you. And we give you our lives, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.